Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a podcast about mental health, but without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the author, editor and publisher Tom Hodgkinson, who runs The Idler, a brilliant magazine about the varied benefits of living a more idle lifestyle. I first discovered Tom's work in 2014 when my doctor signed me off work for two weeks with exhaustion, with strict orders to do absolutely nothing, something which has never come that naturally to me. So I downloaded Tom's book, How to Be Idle, which contained so much incredibly convincing material on the physical, mental and spiritual benefits of just slowing down. I liked it so much I actually got in touch with Tom to thank him for writing the book and we've stayed in touch ever since. I like Tom because he's dead clever and he's able to draw upon his extraordinary knowledge of history, literature, philosophy and all sorts of other smart stuff to support his fundamental belief in the idle lifestyle. We could all do with slowing down a bit and Tom, I think, is the man to show us how. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. Tom Hodgkinson, welcome to The Reset. Hi, Sam. Have you reset yet? Well, I'm trying my best. I I feel like every day is a little bit of a reset. I don't know about you, but I often wake... I I wake up quite nervous and anxious in in the morning in a way that I I, never... There's never really a reason. I can't quite understand why. And then it gets better as the day goes on. I don't really know why that is. Uh, Is that something you've experienced or have any theory on? Yeah, I think that's quite common. I, I get it for a bit, and then, then it, it goes away fairly quickly. If I just lie in bed staring at the ceiling for about half an hour or an hour before I get out of bed, or hopefully my partner will bring me a cup of tea in bed, mm. which she sometimes does and some, sometimes doesn't. Um, but it's not, it's not chronic, I must say. Uh, and actually, I think the last year, it's, I know this is now a, a real cliche to say, it, and it's really annoying. My mum gets really annoyed with... My mum was really annoyed by lockdown. She's even more annoyed by people like me who say they enjoyed lockdown. 
Mm. She finds that ridiculous. Um, but I'm just going to say, and uh, you know, I, I know how difficult it's been for lots and lots of people, but I think there have been a lot of upsides. And um, there's just been a sort of a relieving of stress for a lot of people because we've just been less busy. And it's what my magazine's always been on about, you know, and it's, it's really actually quite difficult to do. But if you become over busy, you become stressed out, tired and ill. Um, so the solution is to be less busy have more time just to dawdle. Um, and that's good for your mental health and your physical health. The, the, I mean, this is, a, this is why I first became such a fan of your writing and your words is because I've been, I am, I feel as if I am not programmed for that, but it's my dream. My ambition is to live a more idle lifestyle and be comfortable with that. And it's something that I've struggled with my whole life. But I, I'm always trying to make progress. And I suppose the conflict in my mind is sometimes like, yeah, but Tom, we've got to make a living. Well, I have thought about this quite a lot. When I think about these things, I go right back to the original philosophers, Socrates, um, the Epicureans, the Stoics. These were the Greek philosophers, three, 400 BC, who invented the idea of philosophy, which in those days was basically a kind of a self-help program because they have the same problem problems that we do in Athens. Um, you know, people, I, I'm in debt, I'm stressed out, I'm worried, I'm full of anxiety. So the philosophers looked at ways of relieving the anxiety that people, I think, naturally feel in many cases. Um, for the reasons you mentioned, you've got to feed your family, um, feed yourself. Um, but anyway, the philosophers were talking about you know, it's a practical program of how to um, relieve anxiety. They looked at the sources of anxiety. And, and yeah, the, the Epicureans, actually, although they sound like they were luxury lovers, one of their main recommendations was to be frugal. And they were so frugal, they lived in a sort of commune, like a hippie commune, because that would reduce their out, outgoings, um, giving them more time to be idle, essentially. But you know, the other probably deeper thing, Sam, that you're talking about is, um, you know, I think some of the, the, these issues that we're talking about, um, guilt about not working. Well, where does that come from? Because not everyone feels it. Uh, and some societies and cultures don't have it either. There are anthropological books about tribes in South America. You know, they don't really work. I mean, they don't have a word for work. It's everything's all mixed in. They don't feel that pressure. Um, and but we're living in a certain a certain point in you know Western civilization, and we're brought up with these, these ideas. You're supposed to work hard. It's called the Protestant work ethic. It was invented in like fifteen sixteen hundreds, and it had been around in different forms before that. Obviously, um, I also think that people, uh, you know, if you got if you got a lot of people are carrying around some sort of unhappiness or trauma, um, some nagging sense of unease. Uh, which comes partly from what we're talking about being in the, the 20th century. Oh, sorry, 21st century. You know, you're surrounded by advertising. The whole point of advertising is to make you feel like you haven't got enough stuff, obviously. Mm. Uh, unhappy, buy this. Um, but also, you know, people are covering up for something in childhood. So they might have had an un unhappy childhood or something went wrong. Um, and, you know, work, addiction to work, um, could be a way of trying to sort of rub the stain out or, or put it, you know, put that pain away somewhere. Um, or you might try and put that pain away through 
addictive behavior, drink and drugs or whatever. So it's, you know, it's a big issue. It's a complicated issue. Um, and it, I don't want to be glib and say, oh, well, just don't worry about work, because obviously that's silly. You know, um, there are reasons why people work, and it's for money, but it's also for, you know, status or a feeling of self-worth and so on. Um, but I think, you know, in general, uh, and I've been working on this for nearly three decades now, yeah. <laughs> the, the sort of study of idling, it is, you know, it's just a good idea not to, uh, overwork is not good for your, it's not good for your family either. Um, it's not good for your children. It's not good for your partner. It's not good for your friends. It's not good for your parents if you haven't got any time. You know, we need bumbling time, you know, to call your mum. It's like uh, I was sitting around like, oh, haven't we got anything to do this evening? Oh, well, I called my mum. So, you know, if you're at full capacity, you don't have time for those other things. Also, if you're at full capacity, you don't have – I hate this 100% thing. Yeah, I'm going at 100%. That's actually stupid. <laughs> isn't it because yeah. there's no there's nothing left mm. um so when something goes wrong you've got no you can't deal with it because you got you should be going at about 60 percent most most of the time or 70 percent or something like that because that's a responsible thing to do because then you've got another 30 or 40 percent which you can give to you know i don't know if, uh, you know you're, someone in your life is ill or um something goes wrong or or, or some, suddenly you get a bit of extra work from somewhere. If you want a hundred percent, you can't do one hundred twenty percent. You know, um, because one hundred percent means everything. Um, so yeah, without being too glib, I, I do think you know, trying to schedule in a bit of idling into your day is, is a good idea for all sorts of reasons. So there's two motivators, I guess, broadly for working. One is the practical thing of needing money to live, but the other thing is there are sort of more artificial things that lurk about in our brains, like the things where you, you have fallen foul of peer pressure and marketing, and you think that status and value rests upon how busy and in demand you are, right? And that's the thing that I would like to rid myself of. I know, you know, there's a, why, why have I, even though I know rationally it's bollocks, why have I, age 46, still got these thoughts about, well, I quite like the idea that I'm perceived as being busy and in demand and the sort of person who's always up to something and the sort of person who's not just sitting about. Why? I don't really... I want to be the sort of person who is happy to not only sit about, but tell people and brag to people that I'm sitting about. But also, don't go against your own nature, Sam. Mm. I mean, you know, some people like being um, busy and doing stuff. I mean, actually, you know, it's called being creative, Mm. Uh, and being productive and, you know, producing something. Um, and you enjoy, you enjoy that process of putting stuff out there for people, uh, which hopefully is, you know, in some way life improving. Um, in my case, I, re I really enjoy editing a magazine and, you know, putting books out there. Well, there, you know, there's quite a lot of work in those. Um, and no one would say to the Beatles, you know, you're being too busy, stop writing so many songs. Um, <laughs> But some people might be too busy, you know, politicians and security guards. You could say, well, maybe you could work a little less hard and you wouldn't make our, our lives such a misery. Uh, but in your case, I'm just trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to sort of think of some prescriptions that, that might be able to help you. Um, and a, quite a boring one, but, and it's, it's been said a million times, is, um, it's got to be quite strict with your scheduling. 
Mm. So when I was um, writing books, uh, I sat down at nine and I worked till one. Um, I thought, okay, that's actually quite a lot of writing. Um, and I've written a thousand words or 2000 words in that time. Um, and if I do that every day, you know, over five days, I can write a chapter a week and over six to seven months, I can write a book. And that's what I did. And that looks quite productive, but I wasn't actually working that hard. I mean, I was working, uh, you know, I was reading in the evening, I was thinking about it a lot. And I was, but after lunch, I would have a long walk, go and work in the garden. And I quite like the idea of Oxford hours, which is something that uh, Charles Handy, the management guru, mentioned to me as an idea, which is you work in the morning. This, I think this suits a lot of people because most people are sleepy after lunch. Um, and you can get a lot done between sort of nine and one. And then you have a, make sure you have a proper lunch. You're not just staring at the screen and, because there's something about the self-importance, isn't there? Like, I'm really important. Yeah. I haven't got time to have lunch, you know, because mm. I've got to, like, eat my lunch while I've got dealing with different calls. Like, hold that call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'll be with you in a minute. You know, hang on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, because I'm feeling really important. Self-important. I've got LA on the line. I've got LA on the line. Hold that line. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I don't care if you can't hire a helicopter. Just do it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a sort of a fantasy, isn't it? Because it sort of looks slightly glamorous, but you don't really want to be like that in the first place. Um, and then, you know, you've actually got to schedule in something in the afternoon, which is a bit more physical. Um, in my case, it's tennis or going for a walk, you know, um, just something outdoorsy or it used to be vegetable growing for me. And, you know, you something just to clear your head. It's better for your work anyway. You get ideas. I mean, Dickens used to go on. The, I mean, Dickens was just so productive. It was crazy. And... Um, he was one of these really driven, restless people. Actually, he died at something like 56. Um, obviously, he did, because not only did he write all those books, he was also running a, a weekly magazine at the same time. Yeah. And he was going on tours of America and doing these tours for a thousand people acting. And he was doing amateur theatricals with his mates, putting on plays. Um, and he had 10 children. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, his wife oh, and he had, yeah, he had yeah. a wife and servants, but you know, but yeah, he was ridiculously busy and it probably killed him actually. Um, but even he had time for like a big long walk after lunch when he did a lot of his work. And, you know, it's all creative work. I know if you're a dustman, you can't say, oh, take the afternoon off and go for a walk and then catch up between five and eight, go and empty yeah. some more bins. You know, <laughs> there were certain jobs which, you know, were nurse, you know. Um, but but I how do you how did you I'm interested in how you stick to a schedule like that because as a creative person you you know there is a muse isn't there and I don't know when it's gonna hit me always and I go through like sort of mad bursts of creative energy sometimes and other times I can go 48 hours and just not be able to complete a single email so being able to I, I've always loved the idea of that I read you know I've read endless sort of like authors on how they what their ha writing habits are but I've like never and I've written a few books but none of them have ever, I couldn't if anyone asked me how did you do it I'm like to be honest the last one I wrote I was just basically alcohol and cocaine was how I got how I hit the deadline in the end you know and the ones <laughs> before that weren't quite so bad but there was a lot of um yeah, it was just sort of like kick bollock and scramble. You know, there was no... So how do you, as a great person, manage to discipline your mind to the extent that you can stick to a strict nine till one and write throughout those hours and not get distracted by email or Twitter or something like that? I don't know. But I mean, I, I'm more... I, I, you know, 
at that point I was I was concentrating on writing books and I was doing the magazine um, in the in the margins. And now I'm now the Idler magazine is my main job and books are a sort of secondary thing. It's sort of swapped around. Mm. But I hope just I don't know. I guess I have a very boring. Um, my partner and I rent a small office. I cycle there in the morning and cycle back home in the evening. And that's it, really. You know, I think you can't just do, doing normal nine to five is I, I, I do a nine to well, it's more like a 10 to five, no, 11 to five. No, it's 10. It's 10.30 to five, 10.30 to six, perhaps, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, I don't know. I be, it, it, people say, oh, well, you're not really an idler, but I am basically quite lazy, so it's not really a problem for me. It's more the other way around. I have to try and make myself work hard. So, um, you're, not, so you're not someone who starts to feel miserable if you end a day having not been sufficiently productive? I do know that I could get a bit of a sort of, you know, if I've written a piece, for example, um, or I feel like I've, you know, done something creative in the day. I mean, I was interviewing Vic Reeves. Um, he uh, he's painting now. He's just painting all day long. That's what he does. He sells his has a, a website and sells these odd paintings. Um, and he starts painting at about six and stops at one. But he says that you know, if he has a whole day of not producing anything he feels quite miserable quite depressed yeah uh, but that's not so much that's not work ethic beating him up that's just feeling that he's a very creative person so you feel i mean david hockney works every day he just gets up and paints all day long that's all he does mm. you know he, and he doesn't have to force himself because um that's just what he does I, i'm naturally lazy i have to force myself to get the bum on the seat start writing i find it really really difficult mm. every time i've got a deadline i want to ring them up and say you know sorry i can't do this i'm 52 i've been doing it for 30 years you know it doesn't seem to get me easier. Yeah. But no, I can't do this. I, you know, and then I sit there and I just kind of like grind it out. And after about twenty minutes, for me, um, it starts to flow. Uh, and then I've done the piece, and I try to work. I, I tend to work incredibly quickly. Uh, and you know, this goes back to why I started the Idler magazine in the first place. It was based on similar problems that Dr. Johnson had, and it was the it was the opposite to you. So. Um, you know, my problem was always like, I can't get out of bed. I can't, you know, I'm always asleep. Um, uh, I've got to, I've got to work harder. That's why I started the idler because I wanted to se actually celebrate idleness uh, as a way of dealing with my own guilt about my own idleness sort of thing. Um, and Dr. Johnson was always trying to get up earlier, work harder and so on, but he was actually very productive. So in your case, go going back to your problem, Sam, um, I, I don't know. You're, you're doing okay, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, you I mean, know, you don't I've, need to maybe you don't need to worry too much about it. I I've mean, made, I've made a huge amount of progress in in balance. All I want really is balance. Whereby, of course, I know that I need. I I I get a buzz out of being creative, and I'm like you. If I finish a day and I've finished writing something or creating something, then I just get a real buzz out of it. Like I feel brilliant all evening. Yeah. But if I've got a series of things half done. I feel mm. a little bit miserable. Yeah. Uh, but I'm a lot better than I used to be. And I do embrace um, more, you know, the idea of more leisure time. And I do try to e even schedule in afternoons of not doing nothing at all, but doing stuff that is not really work related. So what about uh, evenings? Do you, do you manage to get an evening off? I mean, you, you yeah. don't work, you don't work late. No, I don't. I don't work late. And I work and I'm really lucky. I mean, like you said at the beginning, I feel guilty about saying it, but work that right. Lockdown's been great for me. 
because I changed uh, the way in which I worked and it will be a permanent change now with any luck in as yeah. much as I've found a way of doing it entirely from my home. And, I, and I've realised that, again, when I was younger, I would have thought there was something a bit almost depressing about being at home all day. I felt the need to sort of be out and not just even be out anywhere. I wanted to go into the West End and work there because that made me feel important, you know. Uh, now... Someone asked me yesterday for the first time about a year, do you want to meet for a coffee? And I said, where? And they said, and they said somewhere in the West End. And I, I almost laughed at the thought of it. I thought, I'm not getting out of my house and going several postcodes away to meet for a coffee. And then I realised that was quite normal to me before lockdown. But now I hope to never have to do that sort of thing ever again. <laughs> Isn't that an age thing though, Sam? I mean... Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You know, in your twenties, you're. I just wanted to be out all the time, and now I'm I'm fifty something, and I've got you know three teenage children. Um, I don't feel it anymore. I mean. <laughs> Before lockdown, I was even starting to get a bit nervous about going to social functions and things. So mm. part of me was quite happy that you just didn't have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, and all that sort of pressure was taken away. So there's no sort of FOMO, and what do we call it now? FOGO, fear of going out. <laughs> um, there's partly an age thing. I mean, you know, you're sort of in middle age and, mm. yeah, it's quite nice to sort of potter around. Like, but if, you're, if you were 25, I mean, you, you certainly don't want to be sitting at home all day. Uh, let me just ask you a couple of things. Uh, one is, first of all, just just tell me briefly, because I remember really finding this fascinating in, in, in one of your books. I can't remember which one it was. Probably How to Be Idle, which I've recommended to subscribe to The Reset before as just being a good a good guide to, you know, getting your head around the value of, of this of downtime and how much it can contribute to your life. Just when you, what what you thought about when you used to have a proper job, you had a job in an office, in the advertising industry. And uh, what are your memories of that and, and how you just realised that it just wasn't it wasn't going to be the life for you? Well, I've actually had, I've had two uh, proper jobs. Um, when I was working in advertising, actually, I was a freelancer. So uh, so we had a, I had a, a partner and we had one or two helpers. There was like four of us usually. And we, we rented a little studio in Clerkenwell, and that was actually really good fun. I mean, it was it was fun to earn some money and be in town. And uh, but the jobs I had before that, uh, the the only two jobs really proper ones I've had. Um, the first one was working at 
Well, sorry, no, this is three. I'll try and make this quick because it sounds like I'm going to be really boring. Uh, so for a year I worked at Rough Trade Record Shop and they had a skateboarding shop behind the counter. Great fun. I met so many, um, Gavin Hills, the great journalist who died, and I met yeah. uh, skateboarders and it was a whole creative scene. It was amazing. They were like into the, in they we all bought modems. We were into rave and, uh, you know, it was just a, a very creative world and I really enjoyed being, and it was in Comic Garden. It's, they had one in Comic Garden, one in Portobello Road. And I enjoyed working behind the counter and hanging out there, and it was really funny. Um, and then I had two years at the Sunday Mirror magazine, which I absolutely hated. That's when I thought about, that's when I invented the Idler magazine idea. Um, actually, looking back, it was a very good training, uh, journalistic training on a tabloid magazine, deadlines, writing picture captions, headlines, um, a sort of a tabloidy vibe. Mm. Uh, you know, and I was quite lowly, but I was a researcher. But it was quite interesting to be in that environment. I now realise, although at the time I, I I was too snooty, and I wanted to be sort of working for the Independent or something like that. Um, and uh, so I was quite horribly sort of snotty. And then uh, then I was on the Dole, um, and it was on the Dole actually when I started the Idler. So that's an example of idling being good because I didn't have anything else to do. Yeah. And because uh, so I might as, well, might as well get on with it. And, um, you know, so, you know, that's, again, that's often pointed out, you know, Pulp, for example, went on the doll for nine years or whatever. Mm. Um, and, but, and then I did have a very good job, actually, for three years at The Guardian. Um, and they employed my then partner, Gavin, and me because they liked the idler and what we were doing. And we had our own little department and it was sort of creative ideas and that sort of thing. And that was really good. Um, although even that, so to answer the question, um, what I didn't like about the Sunday Mirror magazine and also the later period at The Guardian was just this feeling of being trapped, like it was a waste of my time. And I, I just thought, this is ridiculous. I just got to sit here all afternoon. Actually, I've got no work to do. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and I actually like working. And the other thing I didn't like about offices was office politics. So... The people who were going to get somewhere at The Guardian, um, they spent a lot of time, you know, sort of doing Machiavellian stuff and, uh, I don't know, you know, it's called office politics. I, I can't remember how it works now, but you're sort of, you know, running someone down or you're competing yeah. with someone else in your office to get that promotion or whatever. Um, that just wasn't in my personality. So, so you know, to, to get to be editor or high up at the, somewhere like The Guardian, you need to do quite a lot of that, like not necessarily being... Um, backstabbing, but sort of playing the game a bit. Yeah, and that's exhausting, isn't it? It's, it's exhausting, you know. And, and the skill yeah. set is quite different to the one required of, of creative oh, people as well. And you could, I just couldn't be bothered, you know. Mm -hmm. Gavin and I just wanted to do work. We just enjoyed doing the work. And um, but if you, the problem is, if you don't play the game, then you start getting given the shit jobs and stuff like that. Um, and you know, there'll be people who have tantrums and they will get better treatment and all this sort of thing. And, so I said, well, and this is the Guardian, which is a brilliant place to work. I mean, they were so nice. They were like bending over backwards to be nice. When my friend died, they sent me a, they paid for me to go to a, a counselor for six weeks. And I had like six or eight weeks off work. I mean, they were just so kind. Mm. Um, so I feel a little ungrateful, but, but that was the feeling I didn't like was being trapped. Um, same with the Sunday mirror. I can't leave. I can't do what I want. I've got no time to do my own projects. Um, it's just a massive colossal waste of my time, really. Um, which is what Billy Childish said about... I, I, I stole that from Billy Childish, uh, who your listeners may or may not know of. You know, he's a sort of great maverick um, artist, musician. You know, he's never had, really had a job, uh, but he, he doesn't come from a sort of 
privileged background or anything, but he just somehow made a life, you know, bohemian, a bohemian life. Mm. Um, and uh, when he, he, he had jobs and he said, oh, I just felt like it was a waste of my time <laughs> working for someone else. So, yeah, but essentially it was the feeling of being trapped and being feeling like a slave. And so I would rather be have less money um, and less security and uh, be in control of my own time than to, you know, be a lawyer or something like that, or, you know, like go, go, go up the ranks in an organization. Now, of course, I realized that I was really stupid because friends of mine who joined an organization at 23 on a very lowly level and who stayed more or less in one job are now running the whole thing and they've probably got like second homes and whatever. I don't know. Yeah, but they're probably bored and knackered. I think they are bored and knackered. I think there's lots of 50 something men who just, I've got friends as well who, so I, I, you know, I've been quite successful. I've worked at, I don't know, Diageo or, you know, some big corporation or something. Um, you know, Unilever, I don't know. Mm. Uh, nowadays it would be Google or Facebook or, yeah. you know, and it's okay. I've worked at Amazon. I, I've, I'm, I'm earning, you know, big sums and I've got a nice house and, but I just can't stand another day of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so I never got into that situation. Um, what I'm trying to say is, you know, I'm not trying to diss people who have a job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to sympathise with, uh, with people who hate their job and say that there is life beyond it if you do hate it. Because I hated my job. I got out of it. I found it, it, you know, if you're in the wrong job, it can make you feel very depressed. Um, in fact, you have nervous breakdowns and, you know, and, and I think it's, it's on the, the, uh, the effect of a, a, a job that you don't like on your mental health is underestimated uh, in oh, general. Okay. Uh, you know, and I think that the, often the um, medical establishment um, tries to get you back into the job, which was the thing that gave you the breakdown in the first place by giving you psychiatric drugs or mindfulness seminars, you know. Yeah. Um, to de-stress you so you can go back into the job that stressed you out. I've seen this uh, with, I was involved in a men's group in Lincoln, um, gave a couple of talks to their group. Uh, and it, it really struck me that nearly all of them said that they'd had a nervous breakdown. They'd gone to the doctor, you know, been given drugs or various therapies, recovered, gone back into the job had another nervous breakdown yeah. and it was only when they found something completely different that they actually enjoyed doing gardening. I don't know, whatever it was, the thing they, they actually really want to do. Um, even if they're earning less money that they stopped being stressed out and became happy. Uh, talking of changing your life. Another thing that I think you did and that I've always been fascinated by is moving to the country. You know, you, you're a Londoner like me, aren't you? And like a lot of Londoners, I kind of, you know, I spend a huge amount of time these days and I'm trying to get myself off it, um, pouring over houses on right move, right? And thinking about the big house I could live in in the countryside and live this different lifestyle. My wife always says, don't be stupid. You'd go mad, right? And, but you did, you tried this. So tell me a bit about that. It's it's a lovely fantasy, and um, we were doing the same thing. Like, oh, you know, while we squashed here in London, we could be living in a bigger house in in the countryside, and our children would gamble in the streams and frolic, and I would grow vegetables. And yeah, we actually did it. We didn't buy something; we rented a house. Um, 
The house was very cheap. It was very, very dilapidated. It was a five-bedroom farmhouse on the north coast of Devon, on the Exmoor coast. I mean, the most beautiful area. We rented it off the farm. We were surrounded by cows, and we were on his farm. Um, but we had outbuildings, and but you know, it was swirly carpet. It was wood chip on the wall. There was no central heating, um, and uh, so you know, his wiring was <laughs> pretty ancient, and. Um, and we say we did that for 12 years and yeah, there's lots of good and good about it. But I mean, I think if you, if you've got any doubt, uh, probably stay in London. The, the thing I think that probably people forget is it's, it's quite a lot of work. You know, the more house and the more land, the more work. Um, yeah. and someone's got to do that. Someone's got to look after it all. You know, we had three small children. Um, I was, had all these fantasies about, you know, I had, a, I had a vegetable patch. We had pigs one year. We had chickens, um, we had ferrets, and it, it was all great, you know, and it was good uh, material for a writer. Um, but looking back on it, uh, I probably would have tried to do a little bit less in the small holding. Um, I spent a bit more time with the children. We, you know, we, we could, it was great because we could go surfing after school and that sort of thing. And I really enjoyed it, and I had a real sort of uh, ache for it. But we've been back in London for five or six years, and... I'm really enjoying being in London. I mean, in lots of ways, it's much easier. The other downside about the countryside, and there are lots of upsides. I mean, it's just that feeling of space and freedom. And also, you know, I was working at home. I was writing in the morning. I was doing exactly what, I, basically doing exactly what I wanted. It was all about freedom for us. But as the children grew older, it wasn't about freedom because they were trapped. Mm. Um, they're much more free in London. And actually, I feel more free in London now uh, because of what we're doing work-wise, which is concentrating on our magazine more um it's just nice to be bumping into people you know i sort of cycle down um goldborn road and there's jarvis cocker well that, that doesn't happen in barnstable you know um so I, I like that sort of more glamorous feeling actually of being in london um and uh yeah so you could miss it out on a bit on that that sort of feeling of you know being at the heart of things uh it, it you know it's a lot of work um because you just if you are in a bigger house and you've got a, a bigger garden or outbuilding, they, they all need looking after, you know. Um, lives, you know, animals obviously are a lot of work. Um, and the other thing is you're in the car the whole time. Yeah. Especially as the children got older, we're just always in the car. We had two cars, you know. Um, I guess driving everywhere. I had to drive to go and get a packet of fags from the... Um, cost cutter in linton which is on local village you know um okay you get around it because you have big deliveries and stuff like that but you know we were just driving 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 um and i just got a bit sick of it after a while i never drive at all in london bicycle a walk you know um don't use the car very much so there's some of the downsides and for your wife saying you'll go crazy i suppose she means because of the sort of lack of stimulation um I think, you know, my advice to people who really, really, really want to do it is, is to rent something and see how it goes. Rent something for a year. Um, that's what we did. And that means that because the other classic thing is, you know, oh, don't sell in London because you'll never get back in. You know, mm. that's actually true, you know. Um, and so, yes, yeah, you think, oh, well, I, I could get this sort of. I mean, I, I, I'm still doing it as well because Victoria, my, my partner, wife, whatever, has got this. You now think she wants to live in the country again, or, or have some sort of like a, a, a shepherd's hut, or you know something to retreat yeah. to, or something. And 
Uh, so when she started talking about this, I was like, what the hell are you talking about? What's wrong with being in London? I can't believe you want to go back to the country. You've just been there. And I was like, no, that's not the right approach. I was like, that's a good idea. That's a great idea. Yeah, we should re get a dasher. That'd be amazing, you know. Mm. Um, and so now I'm indulging her. And we've been looking at, my latest fantasy is looking at um, chateaus in Normandy. Oh, wow. Because they cost 400,000 euros. Um, and uh, at least the what I saw. But then again, you start thinking through it. It's like, how often am I actually going to go to Normandy? Yeah. Um, do I really want two boilers um, and a five-bedroom, uh, you know, uh, medieval manor house with a presbytery um, and a dovecot, uh, you know, <laughs> a vegetable garden and a stable? I mean, yeah. do you know how much work that is while also living in London? Yeah, even if you were there full time, <laughs> you'd have your work cut out. <laughs> Unless you'd you were so, <laughs> you'd let months go by without get, managing to get over there. You would get there, and there'd be a bunch of French squatters have set up home there. Exactly, there'd be always, there's always some disaster that would happen. Um, I mean, when I was uh, sort of twelve, my, my best friend's parents had a house in in Bordeaux or somewhere. It, I think it was it was quite basic it was it wasn't expensive um but you know and they did spend a long time there because they were writers so they could spend like two months there in the summer mm. but there was always something going wrong i mean it was such a headache and that was something reasonably sort of small and modest and simple um so that's to bear in mind as well you know two boilers two you can't find a plumber um and, and now i'm like oh jesus could you really be bothered with all of that and like quite happy with my you know, terrace house in Shepherd's Bush with a small yard. It's no work. Uh, yeah. Also, it's really cheap to run. And as we said earlier, you know, the lower your outgoings, the more freedom you have in some ways, because you don't, you haven't got this pressure to earn loads of money um, and therefore do something that you don't really want to do. So, I mean, idling might not be for everyone because some people think, well, no, I don't care. I just want to, I, uh, you know, I'm going to work 12 hours a day. I'm going to be a banker and um, I'm going to make a load of money that's the deal you know i'm not i'm not going to expect to enjoy my those 12 hours i'm just going to do it um okay that's reasonable enough i can understand that but not you know, for everyone not for everyone if that sort of thing makes you depressed then there are these other ways and you don't need to earn that much to have a good life i mean i don't know what i spend money on really i, I for me it's just having some really good beer always on hand um <laughs> And then I'm fine, really. You know, most evenings I sort of drink beer, and then this is quite nice. Um, what, what, what I've noticed is now we started earning money again. Um, we've we've uh, sort of upgraded from Tesco to Waitrose. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and when we were really skint, um, not only was I in Tesco's, but I was in the bargain areas where the the food's been knocked down. So it's like. Oh, I wonder what they got in the bargain area. It's like this salad has been knocked down from you know one pound twenty to eighty nine p. That's great. I'm going to get that because that's thirty. And you know, because when you haven't got any money, these little things add, add up, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But but now um, I'm not. I'm earning you know uh, massive salaries. But now we're earning a little bit more, and I can go to Waitrose and buy a chicken for fifteen pounds. Not worry about it. And that's absolutely fantastic. You know, that's yes. living all right, really. Yeah, exactly right. That's living all right. <laughs> Tom, it's always a pleasure to, um, I feel, you know, uh, I'm sort of chatting to you, interviewing you, but really I, what it is, is it's just I'm getting a free little session with you. Um, <laughs> so I've scammed you there. Uh, I always come away feeling better. No, it's um, the other way around because I, you, you always say, Tom, can you answer this question briefly? <laughs>
Because you know I'm going to just kind of keep yeah, talking okay. absolute nonsense and until you, until you cut back, in. Light a cigar, put my feet up and be <laughs> idle for half an hour. <laughs> uh, no, Tom, pleasure as always. Thanks ever so much. Oh, thanks so much. There you go. That's Tom Hodgkinson. If, like me, you like the stuff he talks about, you should check out The Idler and also the numerous books that Tom has written. Obviously, not everyone can pick and choose how and when they work. But I think we should all at least embrace the idea of trying to slow down a bit when we can. I think relaxing was a bit of a dirty word for my generation who were raised in that sort of Thatcherite workaholic culture. But I don't think judging yourself on how busy you are is a very healthy way to live. I did it for years and look at me, I ended up a right pisshead. These things are always linked. Anyway, that's enough of me for now. Remember to subscribe to the Reset Weekly newsletter at samdelaney.substack.com and follow me on Twitter at DelaneyMan. Thanks for listening, be lucky, and don't let the dickheads get you down. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.